Sandra. Hey, Idaho Dems, welcome back to another episode of ID Pod, where we talk about Idaho politics and how it affects you, the voter. I'm Lindsay Johnson, and I am flying solo today. Jesse is out traveling the state with our executive director, Ellie, and they are visiting our county parties. So he will be back. But today I am joined by Representative Lauren Nekochea. Uh, Lauren was recently appointed to the legislature uh, to fill the vacated seat in District 19, which was previously held by House Minority Leader Representative Matt Rippleding. Lauren has been in the Idaho political arena for about eight years now. Um, She worked with the Idaho Voices for Children, Idaho Center for Fiscal Policy. Uh, So she knows her stuff. She knows her way around the Capitol. She knows policy. uh, And we're very, very lucky to have her in our caucus. Uh, We cannot wait to see the work that she does. Uh, She will be running for re-election this year. uh, So keep an eye on her. She's born and raised in District 19, so she is proudly representing her home district. Uh, and this is just a really great episode to get to hear what she values, what she's working on, uh, and what she is concerned about in our legislature. So enjoy, and I will catch you after. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get to Boise, about your family, if you're comfortable with that, where you were working before you joined the legislature, just a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I was born in District 19, so I'm extra proud wow. to be <laughs> representing <laughs> awesome. representing my home district. Yeah. I, I went away for schooling and I think I think that's a common common thread is you know other other people and my that I, that I went to school with here you know maybe maybe went out of state for for school and just academic and career opportunities and then as soon as I had my first child I said okay it's it's time to come back to Boise and then you know, I get to appreciate everything about um, this town and raise my kids. I have two daughters. My husband and I have two daughters and I get to raise them close to you know their aunts and uncles and, and my parents and oh. that feels really great. What in what inspired you to get involved in politics? You know, I would not have guessed actually that I would have jumped into politics, you know, maybe ten years ago. I think I started but but as I just saw more and more um, how our legislature functions and the opportunities to do better, it, it made me want to get involved and it made me feel like I have something to offer in this process because I've been studying a lot of these issues for a long time. Um, and I, I'll, I'll be running again yeah. <laughs> and I hope, you know, hope I get to get, go back to the legislature next year. And mm-hmm. uh, there, there's uh, there's so many so many things where I think we can make a difference. Whether it's criminal justice reform, investing in education, making healthcare more accessible, Medicaid expansion was a big part of the work I was doing in my mm-hmm. advocacy before I came into this role. And I want to make sure that the will of the voters is protected, that we we honor that and and yeah. and and don't mess with it. What inspired you to apply for this seat? Um, did it seem overwhelming or daunting to you? What were your feelings like going into this and stepping into this role? I was very grateful for the opportunity. I have spent the last eight years of my career 
studying state issues, advocating on different issues, whether it's education or healthcare or responsible fiscal policy. So I've been observing the Idaho legislature up close for a long time, and I've been seeing the legislature make some short-sighted decisions. And this seemed like an opportunity to, to get in there and to try to promote some more longer-term thinking. There are so many areas where we need to invest in our people. We need to invest in education. We need to invest in our, our youngest children. We need to invest in preschool. And we know those investments pay off in the long run. These are the building blocks to our economy. And you know, businesses need a skilled workforce. Um, w- wage earners need to earn a family-sustaining wage. And so these investments pay off for all of us and help our communities thrive. And and I wanted to be able to, to, to be a part of the process and be making the case for smart investments with our precious public dollars. Yeah. Um, Melissa Wintrow, I've heard her say a few times, like, um, as she's sitting on JFAC, just like, you know, it's good that Governor Little is investing in education, but it just needs to be more. It's still not enough. Like, if we're not investing in these public services, we're going to get what we pay for. Um, Idaho's education system is sitting like last or next to last when it comes to per people funding. Literacy is pretty bad. And so, yeah, I mean, education is huge and it starts with the youngest of our children. So I, I applaud you for that being something that's really on your radar because it's something that's important to most Idahoans. Um, the education is something that kind of brings us all together as a uniting issue. Yeah, we often make big cuts to general fund revenue, and those big revenue cuts mean we do less for our schools. We do less to make higher education attainable. And then the benefits of those tax policies generally flow to the most profitable corporations and the Idahoans who are already the most well-off, the ones who, who don't need, <laughs> you know, don't don't need those benefits and those you know, that's those are the things I want to work on correcting the, the lopsided benefits and the tax policies of the past, um, and ensuring that we're we're having real discussions about the trade-offs uh, when we when we give away that revenue and what it what it means. You know, you, you spoke about how we need to you know education is something that brings all Idahoans together, and we see it in the polling that Idahoans of all political stripes want to see us invest in preschool. We're not investing anything in preschool, right. and you know, we might have a budget that's designed to sort of protect schools. Higher education is facing very deep cuts, and our tuition isn't the highest, or uh, you know, compared to our compared to other states. But we have very low levels of need-based financial assistance. So what that means is that family economics um, plays a big role in whether or not you can you know, get a post-secondary, a post-secondary degree that's really going to put you on a path to economic success. And we need more equal opportunities so that families, you know, you know, students from urban, from urban and rural Idaho can, can attend college, students of color can attend college, and, and those for who might be the first generation, who might be first generation students. Hi, Idaho Dems. The 26th annual Frank and Bethine Church Gala is coming soon on March 7th in Boise, and tickets are currently on sale. This event attracts hundreds of Idaho Democrats every year and is memorable for all who attend. Uh, We get to hear from a great speaker who is to be determined. Uh, We hear from our elected Democratic officials. We recognize some great work done by our fellow Idaho Dems. There is an auction. 
and food and drinks for everyone. Uh, and it's a really awesome day full of great events. So please follow the link in our show notes to get your tickets now before seats fill up. Again, it's March 7th in Boise and we will see you then. So what have your, you've been in the legislature for about three weeks now. So what's it been like? What has, um, what's the experience been like overall for you so far? It's a humbling experience to, yeah, (laughs) to walk out on the floor and um, there are long days and um, some, and sleepless nights because I'm just constantly thinking about what, what else I could be doing, um, how many more people I need to talk about, talk to about, uh, you know, certain legislation. Um, But I'm also really excited about the opportunity and I'm able to bring some new ideas that that weren't part of the conversation. So you currently sit on the Revenue and Taxation Committee, as you mentioned. Um, What have you seen in this committee so far, um, the bills that have come forward and what's concerning to you? Uh, You know, that I talked a little bit about um, how I've been dismayed about how some tax policies have have rolled out in the past. You know, the very specific one was in 2018, where the state gave away, you know, close to $200 million in revenue, while actually raising taxes on kind of middle class families with with large numbers of kids. And we need to correct that. That's just not okay. Um, Those those families have the most mouths to feed. And we know that the toxic stress of poverty in childhood has long-lasting impacts as those kids, you know, work to, you know, transition to adulthood. Um, so, so that's been a priority of mine in bringing up ways to uh, ways to address that, ways to uh, help help families that are struggling from paycheck to paycheck. Right. We had a couple of bills that were dropped pretty suddenly in the Revenue and Taxation Committee that make me concerned for local governments across the state. They're kind of a sledgehammer approach to property tax reduction. You know, asking a county to just freeze its budget is a dangerous thing to do when we don't know what trade-offs that county will have to make. Does that mean slowing down ambulance response times? You know, I don't know. Does that mean they won't have adequate fire protection or adequate law enforcement? I don't know. And we need to preserve the ability of local governments to budget and make the decisions they need to make and, and, and be, then be held accountable to their voters. It's, pr- property taxes are a huge issue, and we need thoughtful responses to a complex issue. There's, there's a perfect storm of market forces and state policies, frankly. It's really been on the state that have increased property taxes. There are a lot of unfunded mandates, things that the local level, that the that counties have to do, you know, the, running our court system. Um, and there are small rural counties where a couple of murder trials can blow a budget. And that's why we need some, some thoughtful answers. And I think ultimately the state's gonna probably have to put in some more resources to replace revenue that that local governments are no longer receiving, whether it's because of how we collect the sales tax and distribute it to local local governments and and how just changes in consumer behavior are impacting, you know, how many brick and mortar businesses we have paying property taxes. There's been a huge shift from who who carries that load and it's shifting onto homeowners and away from business. And so we need we need some thoughtful solutions that are gonna address that shift. For somebody who doesn't understand 
um, property taxes or this any of this how would you explain that to them and how it could affect them personally yeah I mean it really is so complex it is and I think that is a huge disadvantage (laughs) to people because I don't know I'd say the average person doesn't I mean and if they're not a homeowner yet um, they might not understand what this means and how it could affect them yeah I mean what we see in you know in, in my county, we know that over the last couple of decades, we've seen residents go from paying, homeowners paid about 50% of property taxes to now paying 70 some percent of property taxes. Wow. And then business has seen the, the corresponding reduction mm-hmm. in the load that they shoulder. Now that's because of tax um, policies that have been passed at the state level. It's also because of market forces. Home, home values are skyrocketing while commercial real estate is not growing as quickly. Mm-hmm. So what we have to be really conscious of is how we make sure that we don't continue to shift the load onto homeowners and, and correct for that shift. The sponsor of the, these bills with the kind of the sledgehammer approach of let's just freeze local budgets admitted that you know this might mean your property taxes still go up as a homeowner this is not preventing that and so that's not a solution you know we need we need real solutions so um where is this coming from inside the legislature what is the who is this benefiting and why is it so often one side over the other who is pushing for this type of legislation well you have lobbyists for commercial real estate who Mm -hmm. who pushed uh for the who pushed for the bill to weaken the homeowners uh, exemption you have just complete neglect of something that's called our circuit breaker that's a property um, tax assistant pr- assistance program for elderlies and veterans with service-connected disabilities. So it's a kind of a certain s- segment of the population can actually apply through this program, and state funding comes 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 to the local government to help them pay their property taxes. Uh, this is a great program. It's underutilized, uh, and it needs to be. It hasn't been improved, or and the assistance hasn't been increased since 2006. So it's just the legislature's completely neglected this mm-hmm. tool we have to help people, especially our older Idahoans who are struggling to stay in their home. We need to make that program more accessible, easier to access, and we need we need it. it you have to be extremely low income to access it right now, and so we need to raise the income. Gotcha. Um, threshold. This is your, obviously, this is your first session. Um, you were appointed. What are your thoughts on running for re-election in November? And what do you see as your opportunity to, to show your constituents that you are ready to represent them? I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity to, to talk to voters. And I'm already doing that now. I've got folks coming in and sharing their concerns, their ideas with me. I, I'm learning a lot, and that part has uh, has been has been really fun and, and mm-hmm. really rewarding. I enjoy hearing from from my constituents. I think what I'm seeing is that we have I share a lot of the same concerns as my right. constituents. They want real answers on property tax reduction, and that's what we're working really hard on myself and the rest of my caucus. So I'm 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 hopeful that we can deliver on that. We've got, mm-hmm. you know, the folks on the other side of the aisle who have other ideas and we're working hard to, we always want to reach across the aisle. Um, mm-hmm. But we all, I think in, in, in the Democratic caucus, work hard to punch above our weight. Yeah. 
Um, the, you know, the other area, as I mentioned, is, you know, going back and correcting, you know, things that were harmful in the 2018 tax package. So can we come up with something that helps families with children specifically mm -hmm. um, and make them whole? It's one thing to ask a family to pay more taxes when that's going to go to higher education opportunities for their children or stronger schools or preschool or health care. It's another thing to ask them to pay more in taxes to fund a corporate tax break. Right. And and, and we need we need to we can we can do better as a state. Agreed. And it's really cool that you are born and raised in the district you're serving in. I mean, I think that's also really cool. And I think that your constituents will really appreciate that and value that um, during the legislative session and the fact that you are representing them as someone who is just like them. Yeah, it's been fun to see, you know, people I've known my whole mm -hmm. life um, and get their response and and yeah, and hear that they're glad to have me represent them, which feels really good. Have there been any legislators who have taken you under their wing and kind of like helped introduce you and show you the ways? Like I forget who it was it was talking about who someone helped them find the water fountain. I think it was Brooke in her <laughs> her first session. <laughs> Um, or have you just kind of been figuring it out as you go? Yeah, the entire caucus has been very welcoming. You yeah. know, Sally Toon, you know, just kind of not, you know, came up, we're neighbors and, you know, wanted mm -hmm. to make sure I, um, you know, ha had had everything had everything in place. But I, and and I do, I I, I know where things are now and yeah, we're just getting, I mean, getting to the around, real work. You've, you've been around and you, you know your way around that place. So it's not like it's all completely new to you. Um, so that, I guess you really did have an advantage in that way, that you're familiar with policy, you're, fam you're familiar with the way things run. Um, but yeah, we've got a great caucus. We do. There's we do. great folks. So, well, Lauren, thank you so much for joining thank me today. Thank you so much for having We're me. We're missing Jesse. I'm sure he'll be very sad that he missed out on this interview, but... We'll get to have you back on sometime, hopefully. I would love that. And that is a wrap with Representative Laura Nekochea. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode today. Just a reminder, if you have any questions about the 2020 primary elections, when you're going to be voting, who can vote in these elections, who you'll be voting for, um, please visit idahodems.org slash 2020 primary and you'll find all the information you need there. Thank you again to Representative Nekochea for joining us today and we will see you next week on ID Pod. Thanks, everyone.